на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Russia finally got underway with a nice victory against Finland in the second Euro 2020 match. And that was actually the first win in the Euros in general since June 2012 in a form of the Czech Republic. To discuss all that and more, we've got the usual guest, David Sanson. Evening, James. And we're also joined this week by a pair of guests, both from the Finnish Football Show podcast. First of all, we've got Mark. Hello. And Rich. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I said to yourself in our little chat we made for the pod that it was it was a little bit unlucky for the Finns and it was a real tight game. And to be honest, I before the game, I'd even said that I was really quite pessimistic after the... I mean, yeah, it's Belgium. It's the, one of the best teams in the world, number one ranked. But as we mentioned in the last pod, the nature of the errors and... The more so the lineup and formation that Stanley Chichesov played really left me quite pessimistic for this one. But David, it's weird how quickly pessimism turned into optimism with potentially Stanley's best team that he's picked. Yeah, it was uh, it was certainly an inspiring lineup when we saw it uh, before kickoff. Obviously, he he dropped the players. He made the mistakes against Belgium. When you know, I wasn't on last week, but but in general, Russia. I think were terrible bar those mistakes. You know they they didn't concede huge amounts of possession and had some attacks. But um, you know dropping those two players, Semyonov and, and the goalkeeper Shunin, and replacing them with the two one two of the youngest guys in the squad, Safonov and Diveyev. Um, that was that was definitely promising. And to see a, a lineup which included both Golovin and Miranchuk, um, you know was was a shock really um it was hard to see what what the lineup was going to be whether it's going to be a four or, or a three at the back obviously you end up with a three uh, with Baranov dropping in to play alongside Devere and Jikia um but that team was was pretty much from the from the squad who are you know selected and available um you know you would say that's 99% the best team that that Stanislav Chertsov could pick um the only player you might try and squeeze in in, in place is maybe Cherishev, uh, but you know that would be really shoehorning um, to to get him in there, and ideally you'd probably want a better uh, and a natural left wing back instead of Kuzayev. But saying that Kuzayev had a very good game, so uh, so yeah, it gave us a lot of optimism going going into the game certainly. Yeah, I think Cherishev would have probably been a mistake. I've I've seen quite a few online some of the guys at register. Um, mentioned that Cherishev could potentially have came in at left wing back because of obviously the lack of options there to either him because Yayev or Karavayev because of his crossing ability and how much you would expect Russia to be on the front foot. But I think that's really what well, their opinion without disrespecting them is quite actually disrespectful of Finland, especially after the result performance last week. They Their goal was a cross in, an excellent, brilliant cross, and then within three minutes, <laughs> It was almost the same again, and it was in behind that 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 Russian left hand side where they want the Cherishev to play. And just imagine if they did, imagine with freedom, Finland would have had down that right hand side because Cherishev, to be frank, he's not only bad defensively. Defensively, I don't think I've ever seen him actually defend in a Russia shirt in my life. <laughs> but Mark, we'll, we'll jump back a little bit and maybe move away from the game for a little while. But 
what were Finland's expectations in the tournament? And I presume perhaps already exceeding them with that opening opening game victory. Well, yeah, I mean, I think our expectations weren't uh, exactly high. I mean, the the one of the biggest things for us is that we've actually kind of made it to the tournament for the first time, uh, you know, in uh, in our competitive history as an independent nation to a major tournament. Um, we actually just wanted to turn up, um, give ourselves a good account, not get, you know, pummeled <laughs> in every single game uh, and leave with a little bit of uh, our heads held high. After the Denmark game, though, you know, I think we all looked around and thought, well, out of all the games that we've got in this group, Russia is is the team that's most beatable. And I mean, Russia is still a tough team. Yeah. You know, they're still still a big team. But compared to Denmark and to, uh, against Belgium, we thought we could definitely have a go. And then when we saw both the highlights from uh, the Russia-Belgium game, where where uh, the Russians, you guys looked a little bit off the pace and then obviously the the, the performance that we put in <laughs> <It was being laughs> kind. thank you you're very welcome uh yeah but yeah you, i mean it was it was it was a it was a strange one the belgium game because i mean you did have as you said uh, you had individual errors but also the general play across 90 minutes wasn't exactly competitive um and then yeah. and then we put in a really good show against the danes i mean obviously there was the whole situation there around ericsson that, that sort of colored the the night's events but with three points in the bag you look at that and think, well, if we get a point here, uh, uh, you know, in St. Petersburg, you know, that'll be us, you know, halfway done. You know, that'll put, it'll take the pressure off for the last game. Um, so going into the game, we actually thought, well, we've been playing well. Uh, Russia seemed to be a little bit struggling. Uh, we've got a chance here to to, to make hay. But uh, as the teams were, were, were put out, you know, uh, I think yeah, I pinged you a bit before the match, and I, I was sort of I had trepidation because I thought, oh no, they've gone back to that back three the way that uh, mm. Churchill's always been playing for the last I don't know a year, two years. So that you guys, you guys obviously changed it up to play Belgium, and then you went back to the way that you knew how to play, and that worried us. And then as we announced our, our lineup, we didn't have a space for Tim Spav, who done excellently well against uh, Denmark, keeping the middle of the pitch. Uh, safe and secure for us, so um, yeah, we had a little bit of trepidation just as the as the team sheets were put out. And why was Spav dropped, Richard? Was it? I mean, is is Finland's captain? I must admit, I did find that a little bit of a surprise. Is is the squad Finland squad in general? I think this is. I can I can imagine there's not many disappointments with the composition of the squad for the tournament and. When you compare it to Russia, there's actually more Finnish players in your composition, Rich, that actually play in the top five leagues than, than we do have in, in Russia's team. Yeah, it was a strange one. I think that there was an element that um, Spav had knee surgery at the end of March and the Denmark game, he played 75, 75 minutes. That was the longest he's played in his comeback from injury and he's not played really any club football since January. Um and I think there was an element that they wanted someone a little bit more mobile because Spav's quality isn't his his fitness or his movement. It's more about his reading of the game. So uh, Rasmus Schuller is younger. He's, he's able to get around the pitch a lot easier than Spav. And, and to be honest, with I think the threat, um, we, we talked about it, it might have been Golovin, but just that needing that little bit more mobility in the, in the centre of midfield. That was probably the reason because, uh, as, as Spav himself said after the game, you know, it was a tactical reason as much as his fitness. But, um, I mean, for him, I mean, he's 34 and a half now. And I think that there was an element that he'd struggled to play three full matches in, what, 
eight, nine days. So there was always a likelihood that he wouldn't start one of the matches. So, um, yeah, that, that was the main reason. And, um, I mean, I, I think if what we what we lacked was his experience and his influence on the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think I think naive is maybe a little bit harsh to say. Yeah. But early on it was it was almost that because of the early disallowed goal through VAR that I'll go into in a minute, it seemed like that maybe drew Finland out a little bit, and especially after the goal that did draw Finland out slightly somewhat more, as you would expect, because they the, needed the point. But um there was that little that little phase there when Russia really kind of exerted a little bit of control. And it wasn't particularly any quality. The only quality from both sides, the real star quality for both sides was the Yosha uh, Moranchuk goal. But that was perhaps where Spav would have been useful with his experience and his leadership just to keep a little bit of a calmer head in the middle of the park. But I did allude to it there, David, and the disallowed goal. But I think that was, to fair to say, a massive let off for Russia while, uh, while being, yes, slightly offside. Oh yeah, big let off. You know, um, Finland just started off with the with the super high press. You know, the three attackers, Poyampolo, um, Puki, and I don't know who the third guy was. Probably Lud. All just sat there in front of the defence. Russia tried to play out. Deveev tried to stick that ball low and wide, and the uh, and the fullback pushed on and nabbed it uh, in front of Kuzayev. And you know, fine margins. Um, I think that. That shocked Russia, you know, after the disallowal of the goal, that sort of shocked Russia into waking up. It's like, okay, right, we're in a game here, you know, Finland aren't going to be, um, you know, just sitting off us and allowing us to play out necessarily. Um, you know, they, they didn't keep that momentum and pressure up for the whole game. Um, but that that pressure that they were playing sort of did did stick around in the early stages of the game. Poyampolo uh, was finding lots of little pockets behind the striker, I thought, between the lines. Uh, you know, the, the Russian midfield trio were all quite attack-minded, I want to say. They were, they were sort of all pushing up a bit, even Zobnin, who was meant to be the deepest. Then um, mm-hmm. we definitely looking a threat. You know, um, Deveyev was, was the deepest of the three defenders, and a couple of times you thought Puki was going to get in a wave behind him. Uh, you know, he, he almost did, you know, twice throughout the game. Deveyev got back on both occasions and made excellent blocks. Um so, you know, Finland, Finland were not we're not here just to make up numbers, and you know they really I think shocked Russia into to playing sort of a bit safer in those early stages, um, which, yeah. which sort of yeah just set the game up for how it went. I think this moves back to the regular formation and introduction of the younger players with Stani finally putting a little bit of faith in the in Deveev in defence really is what won the match, to be honest. I think the he only played the back four against Belgium, which was an absolute massive, unmitigated mistake because of the injury to field or could have been off, and he just didn't trust him to be able to cover. He finally put that trust in him. He started a little bit shaky. I think I even live-tweeted that he there was a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance at first, but as the game wore on, he really grew into it. And interestingly, the formation... Well, BBC originally had it as a as a four three three, which it quite it clearly wasn't. And then I think a lot of people expected to be three four three with Moran, Lasha, Moranchuk, and Gullivan on either side of Zuba. But in actuality, it was more of like a, a diamond in midfield. Was Zobdin was the base, 
was Dory Evan Gullivan, and then we're on trip directly behind Zuban. And obviously more from that because Moran Chuck does Doya and Golovin just feed off to the wings. And I think 77% of all of Russia's build-up play was on the wings. It was about trying to get it out and, and take advan- advantage of, of Zuba's aerial ability. And I, I read a stat today that Zuba's actually won 27 aerial duels so far in the tournament, which is 11 more than anybody else, uh, including a lot of other teams who've already played twice. I think it was Dykes, Lyndon Dykes was second with 16. To be fair, Scotland haven't played yet, so he'll probably pass him. But it just shows what Zuba brings to Russia. He's not scoring. It's he's actually his longest score, scoreless streak for the Russian national team now since 2015, 2015-16. Uh, and uh, what he is doing is he's really taking advantage of his frame, creating for others. He obviously got the assist on Moranchuk's goal. And he was just utterly dominant in the air throughout. I think... At one point, he was just running into people left, right, and centre and heading everything. And um, Mark, I was actually I'm surprised that Zuba didn't come away with the yellow card. At least I thought one one challenge on on the finished defender where he kind of just took his eyes off the ball entirely and just clattered into him. I, th- I think he was a little bit lucky to get away with that one. Yeah, I think. Well, I think by that time, the I think your approach, Russia's approach to game management, should we call it, had changed a lot in the second half. And uh, yeah, he, he, when the ball when the ball came down, I think he had he only had eyes on Toivio, and then he just threw his entire way through him. And I, you, you've got a feel for the defender because that's the uh, Dubias. He's not he's not one of those guys that uh, you want to take a hit from. He is he is enormous. But and it, it's it's a funny thing actually because I, I like before the tournament and in the build up, I've heard a, a lot of what is he described as the the the, the Russian Zlatan. I think he's I think he's called, um, and, and that and that he's good with his feet for a big guy and. I'm sure he is, but I, I haven't. I didn't get to see it against uh, Belgium yeah. or or against yeah. Finland. He was mainly he just was well a, off his game. Yeah, uh, but and he was also used as the target. Like he was just every. It was just for a large part of the first half, in particular, it, balls were being lumped into him rather than being sort of played in and around him. Mm. Zuba's one of those guys where um, at club level, he he's not a guy who you're going to whack it in and he's going to be dominant scoring headers. Uh, the gameplay for club level and yeah, against Finland was get the ball into him and he's gonna nod it down or mm. chest it down, you know. Uh, but typically he is he is actually very good with his feet. Um, and I, I I noted during the game that he was very off with some of these little flicks and touches, which uh, yeah he's normally quite proficient at. So yeah, you know, well observed because yeah he was really not on it on that day. It, it's ironic with Zuba because Zuba's probably by look and by reputation one of the biggest and scariest sort of target men strikers you'll see. So you, you automatically think that it's going to be balls whipped into him to, to whack it in, but he's actually got more goals on his feet than he does with his head in the RPL because of because he's, he, everything he does in terms of target man is back to goal 30 yards out and then it's running on and, and he, he gets so many goals where he just ghosts off late and I'm not sure sometimes if he's ghosting is intentional if it's just because he's really slow. <laughs> but to, he is, he, he's, he's, he's a bit of a weird one too, but we try and Explain him because he is an ignominy to, to everybody, to be honest. In, in Russia, even Zenit fans, some of them absolutely despise him because they think that they, he's brought the club into disrepute with some of his actions off the pitch and, and accepting the league trophy just as Deadpool. But if we swap from Russia's probably Starman, to be fair, and in the final Starman, Rich, what did you think of Timo Puki's performance? Because I said, like I said before, but I thought he was 
some of those chances that Pohan Piallo, and no disrespect to him, because he, he scored next to the goal in the first game and nearly had two, was getting on the end of. I, I just feel like Russia were a, bit, a little bit lucky that some of those didn't quite fall to Pookie in the form that he's been in the last year. Yeah, I mean, it was something that we we that was well noted in the, the Denmark game on Saturday, that Pookie's threat is now so obvious, and, and we've seen it in, in most teams that Finland have played over the last sort of 18 months, is that teams are now so shrewd around how they deal with him that that's how Poy and Paolo gets his space. Um, and the problem is that, again, yesterday, Pukki wasn't finding that space because he was well marshalled. Um, the ball was coming to Poy and Paolo. Again, Poy and Paolo is better in the air, which is why the crossing was such a, an obvious threat from that third minute. But it's just difficult because Pukki, he's not fully fit as well. I mean, he had a, an ankle injury um, last month which he said he was fine, but it's just difficult. He's not really had much of a chance to show what he's really capable of. I mean, this is the pookie of a couple of years ago where he's trying to feed others and, and he's being a bit more selfless because he has to be. And, and I mean, Poyen Palo's a quality centre-forward, but Pukki's in the form he's been for the last what, three or four years. He arguably would have been a bit more threatening. And, and when he was taken off, I imagine there was some fitness or for injury concern but the changes seem to really nullify Finland and you kind of when you take off Pukki you're missing Spav um the players that they had in reserve Lapaline and he's quick but he's no Pukki Marcus Force who's been scoring goals for Brentford he didn't get off the bench and it's just a shame that that was kind of how it ended really there, there was a lot of running around and that there wasn't really any direct threat and, and there wasn't any real opening that, you know, Pukki on form only needs half a chance. But to be honest, across two games, he's not really even had that. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't really had much of a look in. Uh, Mark, would you want Finland to try and open up a little bit more, especially, um, not against Belgium, against <laughs> Belgium a bit more the same, but in, in the Russia game, obviously, when they went one down, would you want them to try and open up a little bit or is it best off sticking to what they know? Well, we, I mean, we struggle. You know, we're we're built for particularly in this sort of version of of Canaver's side. We play five at the back or or three at the back, sorry, and wing and wing backs. But we're built to to counter attack quickly. Um, and in the second half, when when Russia sort of sat off, it caused a really big problem because what you could see and what we could see is that there wasn't a great deal of movement up top. And as you guys sat back, we just sort of struggled to we passed the ball around at the back. We tried to draw Russia out, uh, but when you guys didn't take the bait. We end up ended up invariably punting long diagonals, um, and you know they they can yeah. come off every now and again, but it's not an effective route forward. We should should we have been more more, more direct, had it kept it more on the floor? I think we could have done, um, but it, it's not really our strength. Yeah, certainly. Pauline Yad Palo was I was I, I was watching a little bit of him in the Bundesliga of this last year from when we were in Berlin, and I was watching him then and in the Euros as well. I'm really surprised by his aerial prowess considering he's not the biggest biggest striker and he reminds me a little bit of a bit of Tim Cahill in the sense that it's more so how he uses his ability and his position and that really gets him those chances, which do you think? It's um it's one of these where he's I think when he burst onto the scene about nine years ago, he was almost seen as this complete striker. Um his relationship with Pookie generally works quite well and the fact that Lod has played as well has been a bit more attacking than a lot of us 
saw coming really. But the, the link up play between the two has been difficult. Again, we're we're talking realistically where we're playing two stronger teams away from home, and they're not getting the chances to link together. But um, I mean, Poy and Palo getting his head on the ball in, in both games yesterday didn't really work out. But it's something we, we knew he was capable of. But um, it's just difficult that that sometimes he's had so many injuries as well. You know, it's, it's a common thing now. So many injuries that he's not quite the player everyone thought he would be. And he's really trying to find his new identity, much in the way that Pookie did. He had to go away and almost reinvent himself. Um, I mean, there, there, there's still hope for him yet, but um, yeah, it'd be, be difficult against Belgium on Monday. Yeah, certainly. It seems like it's going to be very much boxed against the wall and to be honest, hopefully he could do a better job of that than, than Russia's pretty terrible attempt of backs against the wall defending in the, in the opening game. But David, if we do move from Russia's defence and their attack, in that Belgium game, Russia's XG was actually 0.26. And that's the second lowest out of the entirety of the top first round games of the tournament. Only Hungary's was lower and the match of Portugal of 0.18. Now, in the second game, in the Finland match, Alexander Golovin actually recorded the highest expected threat of XT score of any single player in any single game during Euro 2020. So, how impressed were you with Golovin and the Moranchuk sort of axis, or was there maybe some further deeper that really impressed you in the day? Um, I think Golovin just put in one of his standard, you know, high energy performances. You know, he was he was all over the certainly the attacking half of the pitch. He was popping up on, on the left side quite a bit, linking up with Kuzayev. Um, and when needs to be, he was, he was coming deep, coming across to the right. Uh, you know, we know he can do that. Uh, in the first round of games, I think he had the most distance covered of any any player in the tournament. Um, that's just the kind of player he is. He, he just has a insanely good stamina. Um, and I thought, yeah, he, he wasn't necessarily the create well. I say he wasn't the creative spark, you know. He he was obviously in build, involved in a lot of the build up to to have that number so high. Uh, Moranchuk definitely looked like the guy who was going to make something happen. And obviously, we know he can do that. Uh, you know, in tight spaces, we've seen it over the years. He, he can just make something out of nothing, uh, and he did just that. Obviously, with the goal. Um, so yeah, I thought those two. I thought those two were good. Kuzayev, say um, down the left as a left wing back, I thought was really good. Uh, constantly, you know, making of all Russia's team, I think he made some of the best runs for for the whole ninety minutes, getting him down the down the back of the of the of the Finland fullback. Um, you know, it's just a shame he's not an actual left footer because there's a couple of times where those yeah. balls were probably perfect for him just to run on, and just whack it in. But every time he obviously wanted to cut it back and get crosses in. Obviously, we had a couple of. Uh, I think Juba had one where it was just slightly too high. We had Mario Fernandez had a similar one where obviously then he, he hurt his back. Um, so Kuzayev was really good. Uh, I thought he was he was Russia's best player on the day, um, certainly. And and uh, Jikia and Diveyev and to a, to a degree Baranov. Um, I I was actually exclaiming us thinking Baranov needed subbing at half time because I thought he was going to get a second yellow card at any instant. Especially knowing mm-hmm. it's a bit, is a bit of a, he's a bit of a hothead. But um, fair play to him. He he managed to avoid a yellow card, although he did have quite a hard tackle quite early in the second half. And I was just thinking, Jesus, man, he's, he's going any second. But he managed to hold on, and the, the back three were were solid. Uh, certainly, indeed. Uh, and for Finland, I, I really thought Blinkovara was 
thought he was excellent. Um, yeah. I haven't seen him really at all since he's gone to, to Rangers. Um, but he, I thought he was he was fantastic uh, against Russia. That's a very David Sanson thing of knowing a lot about Glenn Camaro when he was at Dundee and Arsenal, well, Arsenal's kids, but not, not at all when he's been starting for Rangers. But on Glenn Kaziaev, I think I agree. I, I tweeted after the game my thoughts on the RFN the Twitter channel page and Kaziaev, while I was a little bit torn on Kaziaev because defensively Finland were aiming for the Diags for the three in the flank quite often trying to expose Baranov and Kuzdayev in unfamiliar positions equally. Uh, I thought Urunin was quite, what particularly was quite good at exposing Baranov and trying to get him behind him. Then um, also Mota Urunin for that brilliant goal-saving challenge on Vyacheslav Karavayev where he got a boot to the head for the for this, for the best of it as well. And it was a absolutely brilliant bit of brave and, and well, well-read defending as well. But Kuzdayev uh, I feel like it is because he's not a natural left wing back. A lot of the time when he got into those really good positions, his output was to, to kind of take the safer option, give it to Golovin, which is totally understandable considering the quality that he's got on the ball. And perhaps that he was that's exactly what he was instructed to do by Stan. But sometimes it would have been a bit nicer if Kuzyayev did take a little bit more of a risk and get the cross in himself or try and get in behind the, the finished defence, which... But that's... I think I think that's just purely down to the fact that he's alongside of Alexander Golovin and it's not his natural position. But aside from that, after I, I was really impressed by his performance. I thought he was um, our best player on the day, as well as some really strong performances from uh, Georges Jikier, who was an absolute rock for the second game in a row. He's been Russia's consistently best defender for uh, well over a few years now. He's he's the one constant in defence in the team sheet and always has been since the World Cup. Um, I'm surprised he didn't go off and I'm really surprised he hasn't picked up an injury, but if Russia wanted to do anything out of this tournament, he has to remain in the team and on the pitch because I worry about the defensive depth beyond that. Um, what did you think of Tavayev, David? Because I mentioned earlier myself that he looked a little bit shaky at the start, but I thought he really grew into the game. And I thought my favourite part of his performance was seeing his kind of traditional sort of move, what he does with Cisco, where he's the one who steps up, he reads the, reads the play and he'll intercept the ball and then move out with the ball and then open himself up for a pass. I thought it was really nice to see him do that for the first time for Russia. My favourite part was when he went up for a header at a corner and BBC, or whoever was showing the game, I can't remember, I think it was BBC, had a big close-up of his face and he was sort of doing a Phil Jones style sort of facial expression and uh but that was great but yeah i i, I sort of i didn't really blame him for the early finland chance you know the poem parlay one because finland pressed so high and no one was giving him an option mm. and and the pay the pass out to kuzai was maybe lacking in pace but only a tiny bit but kuzai was not was not ready for it uh, or you know wasn't on his toes enough and allowed the finland ball back to come in um I didn't realise he was as slow as that. I always thought he was, you know, not terribly slow, but that Puki on a couple of occasions was was well away from him. Um, but yeah. you know, he he recovered really well on both occasions, and it it gave me it it, it was it was just nice to see uh, to see a young Russian player do well uh, at international level, and it sort of made you think you know, maybe this guy can go and do it outside of, outside of Russia in the future. 
Yeah, so what do you think that perhaps we're, or myself, me anyways, being a bit harsh and putting the blame on Russia for that um, potential VAR goal? Because it was really kind of prototypical Finland and what one of the strengths is of your side. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, we pounced well, you know I mean? We, we you know, we, we, we reacted well and, and we usually do like to start games, you know, relatively uh, offensively because we know for the for most games, we'll spend a lot of the time behind the ball trying to hit on the counter. So we usually try to take advantage of the first sort of five minutes. Uh, I wouldn't blame yourselves too much, uh, but but it was obviously I think a defensive a defensive lapse. So it's it's not a strong pass out wide, and then the there's a Deveev who's waiting for the ball. Uh, he's not he's not aggressive enough when he goes to collect. He's he's actually just sort of sitting back and he doesn't see Raitala coming. Um, so mm. I, th- I think there was a bit of a lapse there, and, and it was a bit of a let off. But for Deveev. Um, he isn't, I mean, I don't think he's slow, but you've got to remember Pookie's really quick over the first sort of two, three yards. He's got an, uh, an absolutely manic turn of pace uh, and he did recover quite well. If I could compare him to a player and try not to take this too harshly, I would say Deveev, it reminds me a lot of a young Steven Taylor. Now, if, 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 this, that's a bit obscure for many fans, but but he was a former <laughs> former Newcastle defender who, when he was like 21, was the captain of England under 21s, and he looked amazing because he was strong, he was good in the air, he could read the game, and he was quick. As he got older, I think he he, he was found out in terms of his positional sense and in terms of his technical ability. And Deveev seems to have that, you know, about him. He's got a lot of really good qualities. Um, but I think sometimes he, he sort of missed the flight of the pass or, or lost his runner just for a second. So he looks good on the recovery, but he's, he's ten- mm. he tends to be recovering from uh, his his own positional play. Yeah, certainly it, it was. That was the case in, in the Belgium game as well. I think he, he was the one who was chasing Lukaku for the third goal. He was never, ever going to catch Lukaku, no matter how fast he is. But in his initial third, he was a little bit too far away positionally from Lukaku, from my point of view. I think that was one of Russia's biggest issues is that they gave Lukaku in general throughout the, the entirety of the game just far too much space on the ball. And if you give him that sort of space, he will he will take you for that. And in terms of the Taylor comment, I'm not going to mention anything about Stephen Taylor considering I am a Sunderland supporter. I think that's probably for, for the best. But Rich, in terms of Finland's Next game against Belgium, what are your, not expectations, but maybe hopes for the rest of the tournament? Is it just try and get anything you can out of that and see if you can get, get through to the next um, stage? There, there is an element of that. I mean, t- to be honest, it's having seen flashes of Belgium and the second half performance against Denmark, uh, that there will be a case of, of damage limitation. I think there, with Belgium having already got six points and through, who knows what they may do with their team. It would be nice to come out and see um, Finland look a little bit more attacking, or at least with that intent. I mean, it's, it's a difficult mindset to change over the course of five days. But um, th- there has been, like yesterday, for example, in midfield, there was huge gaps between Lord and Kamara and, and Schuller when he was on, that, that there just seemed a bit too much space there. And I think a little bit, almost too much reliance on the, the wing-backs for the width. And, and Urunen, in particular, has played quite well. But it, I just hope that they'll come out thinking, because, I mean, Finna can't sit back, because if they sit back, they're just going to invite the world's best team onto them. Um, but they, they need to show something. That, I mean, they've, they've shown in in the last couple of years, you know, when, when they went to France and won, albeit it was a 
you know, almost like a B game. But but even so, the, just some intent, just that actually go at them a little bit, um, have a bit of bravery. And I think, you know, we, we're in that awkward situation now where you, we need to keep an eye on results elsewhere. And I mean, if Finland come away with it with a, a, neg- a horribly negative goal difference, that might impact on their progress in the group. But I think we just, it'd be nice to see something where, like, was said earlier that the disallowed goal yesterday did seem to show you know that the heads did drop and I think there was again that Mark mentioned the word game management I think that was the word going around on the WhatsApp group um you know having that little bit of experience and knowing when to to slow the game down when to draw a foul things like that just to just take the sting out of the game it's it's a skill that these players will hopefully learn in time but you can see Russia have been at, at many many tournaments and that's something that they know and hopefully they'll have learned something from it yeah certainly I think playing Russia as well Russia's game management is bizarre because Russia's game management is not quite sometimes what you would expect in in terms of exerting control over a game setting a little bit deeper taking a little bit easier Russia's game management is kind of like a microcosm of Zuba and what they did in 2018 where they shithoused their way to a quarterfinal <laughs> and it's, it is very much Zuba pile driving headfirst at the players it's getting up in people's faces it's it's playing very physical football and around their few star players of course but it, Russia when they get a lead like that they get quite or, or they go behind they can be quite nasty and it's sometimes not the easiest to play against. But David, what is your quick expectations as, as we finish off the pod for the last group game against Denmark after, of course, Denmark themselves lost to Belgium after going to goal up? Uh, I mean, while we were recording this, I was trying to, I was reading through a thread of permutations. Like, in my word, like, it's like such a convoluted way. Like, if yeah. like, it's going to go potentially, if Finland get a, a result against Belgium, it could go down to the goal, I think. Uh, literally down to goals scored or, or something ridiculous or the individual results so uh, but if Denmark come out like they did today you know early high intensity football um, against Russia Russia won't like that at all no um, all. you know it's 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 a weird one because in theory Russia just need a draw a draw would be enough for Russia to go through as far as I'm aware uh, but... regardless of results elsewhere I think but do I have faith that they'll sit back and keep it <laughs> solid for 90 minutes? Probably not. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I don't know. I don't even know what to expect until literally the lineup's out. Probably it literally depends who you know. If Kudryashov's fit and Zhirkov's fit, and Stanny says he's going to play him again, then we might as well just pack up now. Yeah, just imagine the pace of that Belgian history in behind Kudryashov and Zhirkov. Yeah, um. I'll try to figure out some permutations as well, and even looking beyond, not just for Russia, but just like the cup tournament in general. And I think because of the introduction of those extra eight into Europe 2016, it's once again almost nigh on impossible to try to figure out who those extra four teams will be and who they're going to play and where teams are going to finish up. So for me, expectations is, Stanley, please don't revert back to your usual way of how you do things. And younger players continue performing the way they did because... I thought some of the younger lads, Dufayev still only 21, Maxim Rukin only 19. They, in particular, had some quite mature performances, especially late on. Rukin came on for uh, Ostoyev, 
think it was his life, isn't it? And he, he just calmed the game down and you could see that he has maturity beyond his years. And I mean, David, we've said ourselves that we were sure if Wicked should be in the squad or whether it should have been Omiarov with his experience. But you can kind of see why start what's Danny so into him with his just calm calmness on the ball. And I think that's one thing that he really brings to the locomotive midfield as well, considering who he has around him with Prokofiak and Kulikov or Makiev, whoever it is. They're quite live wires at times. So Mukin's calmness is, is, is a real asset. And later on, I was very impressed by his maturity. And unfortunately, due to some technical issues we had earlier, we have been delayed a little bit today. So we're going to have to finish a little bit early. So it's a little bit shorter than in the last pod, but we'll be back after the Denmark game to review all of that and hopefully for Russia that will not be the last pod of the tournament because hopefully we'll be going into the knockout stages but for now anyway that is the end of the RFN podcast David thanks for joining me no problem and Mark thanks for joining us and good luck for the next game thanks very much good luck to yourselves and Rich thank you for having us it's good fun this has been the RFN Podcast. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь, Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, Быстрота, увлечение, расчет.